Welcome to the Rated Rabbi Sports Card Podcast, where sports cards and pop culture meet the 1984 All-Star Game. I am your host, Rabbi David Spinrad. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 17, King Carl. But before we get into today's episode, I want to respond to a frequent listener, Moshe from Las Vegas. Moshe says, what's up? Where was last episode? Where were you on Monday? I missed you. I missed you to start my week. I'm sorry, Moshe. You're right. I was not around on Monday. I did not drop an episode on Monday, and I will avail myself to give you information when I have it, when I know I'm going to miss. I was away on Monday because I had an incredible honor. Uh, I was out in Los Angeles at the University of Judaism where I was um, I was invited by my, my friend and my colleague now and uh, a mentee from my years in Atlanta, Rabbi Samuel Rosenbaum. Uh, Sammy invited me to present him for rabbinic Judaism at the Ziegler School of Wow, at the Ziegler School of Rabbinic Studies, and Sammy is a rabbi, and he asked me to present him for ordination. In Hebrew, the word is smicha. It means to to lean on, or quite literally, it is the the laying of the hands. And I was honored to present him for uh, that really illustrious. Um, moment in his life and in the life of the Jewish people. So I flew out real quick. I was just gone Sunday night to Tuesday morning. Unfortunately, that meant no episode for us on Monday, but I'm back, baby. So when I travel, I have uh, far too too many aspirations. I'm going to read this book. I'm going to work on this project. I'm going to, da, 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 and I'm going to watch these three things. Like just the chance to be alone on an airplane where nobody can email or text me or ask me for anything. I'm like, oh, it's just going to be just Dave time, right? Uh, right. I mean, I read a few pages and I always look through my photos and like <laughs> delete. You know, you do that too. You got like 7,000 photos on your phone stuck somewhere. I go through the phone, try to clean up those photos that are crummy. Uh, but another thing I did is I had my journal out and I started thinking about what I want my collection to look like. And I don't, I don't want that many cards. I'm working on a full Willie Mays run. And even, I don't even know what full means. I know I want all of his base cards from 51 through 72. I will never own his 73 tops in a Mets uniform. It's like so old, he can barely hold a bat. Like, no, thank you, please. But 51 through 72, I know that I want his Bowman. I know that I want his tops. I even want his 63 Fleer. There are some of his combo cards, some of his special cards. I don't care about when he appears on checklists and he's leaders. For sure, I want that 66 leaders with Aaron and Clemente. But there's a 64 we called Master and Mentor with Bill Rigney. Um, Rigney was terrible to Maze. Rigney didn't understand that he had a transcendent superstar and Bill Rigney didn't didn't really strive to get along with Willie Mays and they had a very contentious relationship contrasted by his relationship with Leo DeRocher. And sometimes DeRocher, it could definitely seem paternalistic. 
um, perhaps even in that paternalism uh, touch racist. I think by today's standards, they also had an incredible intimacy. And and most of all, um, Willie Mays trusted Leo, something he never had with Bill Rigney. So I won't be getting all the combo cards, but I'll be getting, getting the best of them. Um, so I don't want that many cards. I do want the Mays cards. Uh, I have a couple of modern little fun projects, but I started looking at my, my real PC and recognizing that I don't want all these cards. They might be awesome, but I think I might enjoy one or two transcendent cards over a big handful of awesome cards. And I, and I did this thing where I tried to make a list of just 10 cards, non-Willie Mays division that I would want. Some of them I own, most of them I don't. And I was able to get of all my cards that I want, I was able to actually winnow it down to, to 21. Non-Willie Mays cards in a, in a pyramid. One, two, three, four, five, right? One, two, three is six. Four is 10. Five is 15. And then the sixth and final row, 21. A 21 card non-Willie Mays vintage PC Um and I might even go less and less and less and less. I just want all my life to feel lighter and less encumbered, not more. I look around and I just, it's so odd to be a collector and also not, not dig on the clutter. That's where I'm at right now. Um, and trying to really like buy less and think more. Let me know what you think. Tell me about how you're collecting, what you're collecting, what your psychology is. I really love the adage. And in the end, what we collect is ourselves. So who are you? Tell me who you are. Tell me what you're collecting. Tell me why you're collecting. Tell me how you are collecting. Give me a like, a subscribe. Uh, and most of all, best of all, tell somebody if you're into what we're doing here, which is <laughs> on a long, slow journey through the 1984 All-Star Game, episode 17, and we haven't even gotten to the ceremonial first pitches yet. All right. So the anthem finishes. Crowd is cheering. From the field, they release hundreds of red, white, and blue helium-filled balloons. A different time. Right now, you're like, yeah, all these beautiful balloons. Now, through the lens of 2023, what are we thinking? Oh my God, what about the San Francisco Bay? <gasps> those poor fish and those those birds are gonna swallow them and then they die. It seems a little antiquated by today's standards. I don't know that we're releasing hundreds of balloons <laughs> into the air. Nevertheless, what's really cool is to see how the wind swirls. If you've never been to Candlestick easy to find on YouTube. The wind just swirls around and it swirls one way when they're closer to the field and then differently higher. And it must have been tough to play defense out there. So then they cut to, then the broadcast cuts to a still shot of the San Francisco Bay, a little sailboat in the foreground. And you hear the, um, I don't know, some, you know, broadcaster announcer voice saying, the All-Star Game brought to you by today's Chevrolet and Budweiser, proud sponsor of the U.S. Olympic team. For all you do, this Bud's for you. And by the Gillette Atra Razor, 
whose twin blades pivots for a close, comfortable shave. And by RCA and the palm-sized small wonder video recorder. And then, and then they, uh, they, uh, they cut to regular commercials. There's a commercial for, for Budweiser, of course, and it says U.S. Olympic-like um, men's wrestling coach. The vibe is very, not quite Vision Quest, but it's very much all the right moves. 66 stack monster 66 stack monster <laughs> very much all the right moves if you've never seen all the right moves it's a great movie i think actually it's one of tom cruise's best at least when i was an adolescent i did it's high school football in the western pennsylvania hills it's it's good i think chris penn is in the let me know i didn't do any research i think chris penn is his football buddy uh then of course the chevrolet has an ad for today's hottest selling cavalier Goodyear Vector Tires, and then the last commercial is one of those bumper spots where they have an ad for the program. I'm going to show you here on the camera, not going card cam, just going to go handheld. We talked about the cover in an earlier episode, that great image of the All-Star Game. Willie Mack, Willie Mays, and Marichelle are the stars in the background. You have the bridge and stars and a cable car. But what I want to show you today is inside. This is a great, great vehicle for some memories. The only one I want to spend time on today is right here on page 72 in your program. It is an ad for a starter jacket featuring Daryl Strawberry. The ad says, a salute to the stars. The All-Star Game is here again, a baseball tradition. Starter salutes the stars, past, present, and future, like Daryl Strawberry of the Mets, a rising star. For the and this is this is how old I am. Like, this is a long time ago. For the name of the nearest starter supplier, write to starter, 360 James Street, New Haven, Connecticut, 06513. That's a thing you tell you to your 13 years old. I'm gonna write to starter so I can know where the nearest starter supplier is. Look at this gorgeous blue starter jacket with the collar, right? The matching collar and wrist cuffs, the Mets patch on the shoulder and the NY on the breast. This is an OG awesome starter jacket when there was just really, this was the style, right? So little David Spinrad, Nevada, California, age 13, didn't have to, wouldn't have had to write to a starter for the name of the nearest starter supplier because I knew where that starter supplier was. That starter supplier was at the dugout store in Saramonte out by the airport. Saramonte, OG Mall. There was a giant dugout store at Saramonte, and all I wanted for Hanukkah was a Giants starter jacket. Hmm. You know, when you're a kid, you're 13 years old, a little chubby, kind of cover the tummy, we like that. Also, like, going to feel good. Things like good clothes, give you self-esteem, my favorite jacket, a giant starter jacket. Mom, dad, please, for Hanukkah, all I want is a giant starter jacket. And I kind of like let it go. And then my mom went to Saramani, Giants dugout store. She bought me a giant starter jacket. Oh my God. I saw it there hanging in their closet with the, with the plastic over it, like from the dry cleaner. Like I was going to get a starter jacket for Hanukkah. It's only a few days away, a week away, whatever. It's like, Oh my God, dreams come true. Mom, you're the best. Only young David Spinrad 
sometimes had a big mouth. Only young David Spinrad didn't know when to let it go. Young David Spinrad, 13-year-old David Spinrad, maybe could be a little obnoxious in that 13-year-old way and was known to open a big mouth from time to time to his mom and dad. And my dad handled it differently, but my mom, Rosie, she wanted to be trifled with. And, and I remember this. Can you feel me? I feel me. She said, you know, try me. If you say one more word, one more word, I'm going to take that jacket back to ceremony. And I'll be darned <laughs> I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I took that challenge. I said one more word. And what did my beloved Mama Rosie do? Well, Rosie was not to be trifled with. She took that jacket back to Saramani, and I never had a giant starter jacket. I'm not wounded. I'm like a big kid with a credit card. I spend plenty of money on fanatics, but that, that one, that one, that one. Oh, man. Oh, man. You got to respect Rosie, the person of her word. She says one more word. I'm going to take that jacket back. I spoke one more word and back it went. Woof. Ah, I love you, Rosie. <laughs> Yo. All right. Let's get into it. Um, come back from the break. Al Michaels is on the mic, and he says, let's set the defense for the National League. At first base, the leading vote-getter, Steve Garvey. At second, the emerging star, Ryan Sandberg. At short, the acrobatic one, Ozzy Smith. Over at third, Mike Schmidt. In left field, Tony Gwynn leading the National League in hitting at the All-Star break in center, the two-time MVP, Dale Murphy. And in right, the leading vote-getter among outfielders, Daryl Strawberry. Behind the plate, it is an all-Montreal battery. We have Gary Carter, and on the mound with a 13-4, 2.9 ERA, Charlie Lee making his first All-Star appearance. They mentioned that Lee has taken command of the Montreal staff with Steve Rogers struggling. And before the game can begin, the PA announcer comes back on and introduces the first pitches for the All-Star game. We see the camera pans. The first person we see is Giants legend King Carl, Carl Hubble. Next to him, 1961 Giants All-Star, Stu Miller. By the way, they're both wearing the starter jackets. Don't think I don't suffer. I see that. Oh, my God. They're both wearing this. They're, they're both wearing that awesome Giants starter jacket. They're out there to throw the ceremonial first pitch. Hub is 81 years old, so he's just kind of taking his time, moseying out. Doesn't even go all the way out to the mound. He goes about halfway out. Uh and, you know, sadly, he's already had a stroke a little bit, but he's out there and he's lived, he, he bounces it. I'm not going to lie to you. He bounces it from about halfway, halfway uh, between home plate and the mound, no matter. So Carl Hubble, let's talk Carl Hubble, shall we? Carl Hubble, I almost called this, this episode the meal ticket. That's his other 
nickname. Carl Hubble pitches 16 years for the New York Giants, spends his whole life in the organization, gets into scouting. 16 years in the org from 1928 through 1943. He is a nine-time All-Star. Bear in mind, there were no All-Star games before 1933. Nine-time All-Star. He is a two-time most valuable player, 1933 and 1936. In his career, he wins 253 games, has a 2.98 ERA, and a 68.5 war. Two-time MVP never wins the Cy Young. Why? Because there was no Cy Young Award given until 1956. The first Cy Young Award winner, remember 1956, they only gave one. There was not a Cy Young in the AL and the NL. The first Cy Young Award winner, 1956, Don Newcomb, Brooklyn Dodgers. That's a surprisingly pricey card, right? The 56 Tops, great Newcomb card, iconic set. I think the Newcomb card is so expensive because A, that's the roster from the 55 Dodger World Series winning team. B, He's a historic player. First Cy Young, first African-American, also to win MVP, I believe. Of course, I did no research on that. You'll let me know in the comments if I got that wrong. Uh, very hard card to find centered, at least so far for the, what I'm willing to spend on it. So Newcomb is the first Cy Young Award winner in 1956, explaining why Hubble never does win the Cy. Those two MVPs, 1933 and 1936. In 33, he goes 28-12. and 1.66, a Maduxian. <laughs> I made up a word. A Maddox-like. Maduxian ERA, 166. Throws 10 shutouts. Pitches 308 and two-thirds innings. 1936 goes 26-6 and six with a 2.31. Let's look at a card. All right, I'm going to show you my favorite card of Carl Hubble, his 1935 Diamond Stars, acquired at the 2022 National in Atlantic City. I love this card. Let me tell you why. First of all, Art Deco. The Deco design is so gorgeous. The way the colors and the shapes of the buildings, like that yellow and the, like what building is that? That's certainly just a drawing. Right? Look at the font on Carl Hubble. It's that kind of, I don't know describe it, other than Art Deco, kind of lean and rounded. It's such an incredible set. Rabbi Seth Limmer wrote in recently and said, hey, let's work on the adjectives a little bit, spin rad. I said, I don't know what to tell you. He's going to tell you, Rabbi, this is an awesome card. Uh, it's a really, 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 really awesome card. It's not a uh, standard size. It's smaller. It's kind of rectangular, almost squarish, but more of a rectangle. Um, what makes this card especially especially awesome to me and why it represents Carl Hubble in my 80 card master set is the pose. And Seth, I can describe this for you. So Hubble is leaning back on a screen. It looks like a screen that might've been a sort of a batting cage screen to protect the guy's legs or something like that. I have a big mesh screen with pipes around. He's leaning back, elbows up. He's got his hat 
a jauntily cocked to the side and he has this air of him in this picture it's a it's a painted photograph right stylized his air of calm confidence cocksuredness just just badassery right that's leaning back just greatness in repose and why i chose this card is this 1935 now he also appears in 1934 Gaudi in a similar pose. I love 34 Gaudis. We're going to look at one in a second. He's a similar pose in the 34 Gaudi, slightly different card, no hat. But the reason I chose the 35 is I imagine this taken in the wake of one of the greatest feats in all-star history, 1934. Hubble on the hill for the National League. Only the second year they played the All-Star game is played this year in the Polo Grounds. Hubble surrenders a leadoff single to Detroit Tiger Charlie Garringer. Second batter, Heine Manush. We don't have a lot of Heine. Man <laughs> That's a great name. Heine Manush walks. So you got two on, nobody out. 1934. Up steps the Bambino, the great Babe Ruth. What does Hubble do? He K's him, strikes him out. Sit down, babe. Followed him up, Lou Gehrig. What does he do to Gehrig? Strikes him out too. Now he got two on, two out. He struck out Ruth. He struck out Gehrig. Who next? Come on, Jimmy Fox. Strikes out Jimmy Fox to retire the side. Ruth, Gehrig, and Fox are retired by strikeout Garinger and Manush are stranded comes back in the second inning facing Al Simmons strikes him out after Simmons it's Joe Cronin strikes him out too strikes out Ruth Garrick Jimmy Fox Simmons and Joe Cronin in succession Hall of Famer 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 the five of them combined for a 329 lifetime average and 2,208 home runs. One of the great feats in all-star and in baseball history. And so this is the picture of him just after. And I just think it's delightful. All right. Let me show you another card as we move on. I got one more story. So the inspiration, maybe not the inspiration, but an influence on those, those five strikeouts is is Hubble's catcher in the All-Star game. Hubble's catcher in the All-Star game says, listen, Carl, throw nothing but screwballs. Screwball is like a, a pitch you turn over like that. You can't see, but you rotate. If you're left hand, you rotate your lip, lip, your arm and your wrist, right? Counterclockwise, and the ball breaks away, right? Away from a righty and down and in on a lefty. There, it said that in, in Hubble's later years, that he'd throw the pitch so many times that his arm was was pronated outwards, right? Imagine your palm facing not inward towards your body, but outward away. So so Hubble is advised by his catcher to throw nothing but scroogies to the American League. Uh, what was the name of his catcher? Gabby? Old Tomato Face Hartnett. I went a long way to bring Old Tomato Face into the conversation to ask you, whatever happened to the great nicknames? Why are there no more? It's a mouthful, yeah. <laughs> old Tomato Face. Uh, they don't do nicknames like they used to. All right. I want to show you another card before we move it on. 
Hubble is doing the uh, doing that first pitch, and Howard Cosell jumps on the mic, and he says the greatest game I ever saw pitched was a showdown between Carl Hubble and Tex Carlton. I'm gonna tell you about that game because Cosell messes up the details better, than, <laughs> worse than I do. <laughs> All right. The showdown that he's talking about happens in 1932 at the Polo Grounds. Carl Hubble, James, Tex Carlton. Carlton is pitching for the St. Louis Cardinals on two days rest. Leading the league with 11 wins, entering the game. The two of them match up for 16 scoreless innings before Jesse Haynes, a future Hall of Famer, relieves Tex Carlton as he steps aside for a pinch hitter. In the 18th, Haynes allows a walk-off single, and the Giants win. Hubble throws a complete game shutout, 12 strikeouts, walks nobody at one point from the 7th through the 13th, retires 20 in a row, throws an 18-inning complete game shutout. That just blows my mind. So for those of you listening on the podcast, I am showing James Tex Carlton's one and only big league major release baseball card, 1934. Such a gorgeous set, right? Like, listen, I get it. I know the 33 Gaudi. I would love to have the the Red Ruth. What is that number? 149, 179. That would be one of the handful of cards. Another conversation for another day. But it is hard to beat the 34 Gaudi. And then that same handful is the yellow Lou Gehrig. Oh, my God. That is just a beautiful card. This Tex Carlton is nice, though, right? The beautiful red, the drawing behind him of the pitcher and the batter. Got that real serious face. That amazing old-school Cardinals jersey with the, the font and the birds on the bat. And, of course, across the bottom, 34 Gaudi. Lou Gehrig says, a little picture of the Iron Horse. Man, I have wanted to show you these cards side by side for a, probably a year. Probably when I, when I first was doing the broadcast and I heard Howard talk about Tex Carlton, I had a vision to show you these two cards together. And it just feels, it just feels so rewarding to show you the 35 Diamond Star Carl Hubble and the 34 Gaudi Tex Carlton. Simple pleasures are the best. All right. So Hubble throws out the first pitch. And the other first pitch, as I mentioned, is offered by former Giant and 1961 All-Star Stu Miller. Al makes mention that Stu now owns a liquor store in San Carlos. I tried to do a little inspector Google research. I couldn't find out anything about a liquor store, but I know he owned a liquor store in San Carlos. Let me show you what I have. I have two items to show you today. I have Stu Miller's 1961 Tops. My least favorite set of the decade. There's like two little rectangles on the bottom with his name, but it's a cool picture of Stu. Looks like a spring training or before a game in a little posed wind-up position. It's a nice clean card. It looks great on the wall next to Hubble. And then next to him is the Welcome to Candlestick Park, a 1984 All-Star Game honorary 
Karate candlestick. Yeah. Very special. So the original ones, I was at the first karate candlestick game. They were these little orange pins that said, I came, I saw, I survived. I don't remember the Latin, but the English, I came, I I saw, I survived. They were given out to fans who stayed through the end of extra inning night games out in the tundra of the stick. Everybody who passed through the turnstiles of the 84 All-Star Game got one of these. This one is mine. Still remains in the package sealed like the day I got it sponsored to you by Light Beer. Everything you always wanted from a beer and less. Let me read the text. This honorary quota candlestick provided through the courtesy of Miller Light Beer is a special commemorative version of the award presented to Giants fans, as I said, who stayed to the end of an extra inning night game. It recalls the last All-Star game here at Candlestick Park in 1961 when the Giants' ace reliever, well, he did lead the team in saves with 17 in 1961, ace reliever Stu Miller was called for a balk when a particularly fierce gust of wind blew him off the mound. I hate to tell you, it didn't blow him off the mound. It caused him to lose his balance as he was going into his windup. It was a, it was a, it was a balk, but it didn't blow him off the mound. Please accept it with our best wishes as a memento of a night when you demonstrated the fortitude and courage of our Giants fans. The fans who hang in there. So hang in there was the motto of the season. That's how bad it was. Giants go 66 and 96 and 84. I remember the uh, commercials and the uh, the jingle on KMBR. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, because winning isn't something you can always do. Giants, Giants hang in there. Yeah, dark times. Signed by team president and owner Bob Lurie. Pretty cool button though. It says 84 All-Star Game. Has this picture of Stu Miller in agony, wind blowing across his face, blowing his hat off. Oh my God. Miller had a pretty good career. Pitched 16 years in the big St. Louis Cardinals, Philadelphia Phillies. Actually was a member of the final New York Giants team. 1957 came west with the team, so played in the polo grounds. Later played for Baltimore and in his final season, actually just two appearances, age 44, the Atlanta Braves. A starting pitcher, a relief pitcher, became exclusively a reliever in 1961. As I said, led the league, led the team in saves. No, I had it right. Led the league in saves in 1961 and again led the league in 1963. One more fun tidbit beyond owning a liquor store in San Carlos. In 1967, pitching for the Baltimore Orioles, Stu Miller pitched in a combined no-hitter along with Baltimore Orioles starter Steve Barber. What's the big deal? They threw a no-hitter and lost the game 2-1. to one. Barber pitches uh, and and no hits, but actually had walked ten guys. So it wasn't that great of a great of a game. Miller comes in to relieve to relieve him, throws a wild pitch to allow the score to be tied. Ground ball to Mark Belanger, the great one, the super skinny Mark Belanger. What do you do with Mark Belanger? You have him field ground balls to short. He boots it. E6, Orioles lose 2-1, to one. Stu Miller, no hitter. But the loss 
All right. We're almost about to wrap it up. I want to tell you something that's coming. Very exciting. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Next episode, episode 18. I'm going to have an awesome mail day, perhaps even a double mail day, perhaps an incredible celebration of a project that I have now completed. I will somehow find a way to tie it to the 1984 All-Star Game. For my Jewish sisters and brothers, I wish you Chag Sameach, Happy Shavuot, the festival of weeks when we celebrate receiving the Torah on Mount Sinai. I also wish those of you who celebrate and observe a Shabbat Shalom and to each and every one of you, may you always and forever be blessed and enjoy health and long life. So long for now.